Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Thank you for joining us at The Chapel Online today from wherever you are. My name is Steve Elworth. I am the sending director at The Chapel. And I get the joy and the honor of helping every one of us who call the chapel home live sent wherever God has sent us into the world. And it's a joy to be able to be here and close out this series that we've been in the book of Luke. Now, if you've been with us, you've been tuning in, we've been in this series all throughout the book of Luke for the last five months, starting all the way back before Christmas. And it has been such a joy just gazing into the life of Jesus together, looking at the detail that Luke gives us, looking at the ways that Jesus revealed himself. And this is the last week of our series. Now, we didn't end with the resurrection and with Easter because neither did Luke. The resurrection is the most important thing, but there's more to talk about. Do we get it? Do we get what it all means? Do we get how it changes everything? Do we get the invitation into his life and into his mission that the resurrection enables us to jump into? As we'll see, Jesus' disciples didn't get it. And I don't think we can move on from Luke until we do as well. So let me pray for us as we get ready to jump in to the last part of Luke. So God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would come and speak through your word and speak through me as your vessel. God, if there's anything I've planned to say that's not of you, would you take it out of my mind? And if there's anything that you wanna say that I've not thought of, would you come and speak? Because we want to hear from you. So wherever we are together in this journey, in a car, on a couch, in a gym, would you give us space in our minds and our hearts to hear from you that we would be changed? In Jesus' name, amen. Now I wanna start off with this question. Have you ever missed something so spectacularly that it was embarrassing? And when I was thinking about this question, getting ready to jump into this message, my mind was brought all the way back to a memory that I'm surprised is even still in my brain. I don't remember how old I was. I don't remember a lot of details from the story, but I remember that my younger brother had stolen something from me, stolen one of my toys. At least I thought he had stolen it. I was convinced that he had stolen this toy and I was not gonna have it. I was the big brother and I was gonna just go do something about it. So I remember confronting him and just yelling at him. Yes, there, I, I, I regret that now, but yelling at him saying, Mike, why'd you steal this? And I had something in my hand that I was threatening to hit him with. Not sure I was the best younger brother when I was, uh, when I was younger. And I was threatening to hit him with this thing in my hand and I wouldn't let him get a word in. I was threatening him, I was confronting him, and I was speaking fast and loud. He couldn't say anything. And finally, I took a breath, and he was able to get out. Steve, it's in your hand. <laughs> the thing that I was yelling at my brother for stealing was the same thing that was in my hand that I was threatening to hit him with. 
That is the definition of missing something spectacularly. Now today, we're gonna look at a story that I think these two disciples, if they were asked 20 years in the future of something that they've missed spectacularly, they would have used this story that we'll look at as an answer to this question. Now when we pick up, we're picking up in actually the same day from last week. This is still the first Easter. Jesus has just risen from the dead. The greatest thing to ever happen to the human race has just happened. Jesus defeated death for us. But the problem is people didn't believe it yet. Even his own disciples. They missed it. And they missed it because they were so dejected that this guy that they had given up the last three years of their life following, that they had placed all of their hopes in, he died. And the one thing that they knew a Messiah would not do is die. But they were also dejected because they were mourning the great things that they assumed were coming to them because they followed Jesus. Now this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It reveals our deceitful hearts and selfish motives. And it shows us the grace of God to meet us in the deceit and the selfish motives of our heart. And it's been so good following Luke because he gives us so much detail. And in this account that we're gonna look at, we get to see in detail some of his disciples, some of Jesus' disciples encountering the risen Jesus and some insight into what our response to the risen Lord should be. Now, this is a long story, so I'm going to read this whole thing and stop at different points and, and make some comments. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 24. Uh, you can also follow along because the, the, the verses are going to be here on your screen. But starting in Luke 24 and verse 13, we read this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, everything that had happened encompasses a lot. The guy that they had followed for three years, the one that they were with when they saw amazing miracles, mind-blowing teaching, intense encounters with religious leaders, and it just died a gruesome death on a Roman cross. Those were what they were the things that they were talking about on this walk. And they had a two and a half hour walk to talk about it. It was a seven mile journey from Emmaus, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And it would take about two and a half hours. So they had a lot of time to think about these things and to talk about these things. And picking up in verse 15, it says, As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now I love the detail that Dr. Luke gives us. Jesus comes up to these guys, but they think he's just a random traveler. Their eyes are kept from recognizing him. And my guess is they didn't want to talk. They probably didn't want to engage with a stranger. They were just trying to process everything that had just taken place over the last few days and really over the last few hours. 
And this traveler, who we know to be Jesus, they think to be a random guy, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now, we don't know a lot about these two guys. And it's a shame that there are so many of those that followed Jesus while he was still alive that we don't get a lot of detail on. And some of them end up with not a great reputation. Think of Thomas. We remember him as the guy who doubted Jesus. And now we meet poor Cleopas. Cleopas will always be remembered as the guy that asked Jesus if he knew about Jesus. Well, Jesus has a sense of humor, so he plays along. Verse 19, what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place, and in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had, that they had seen a vision of angels and said he was alive, but then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Now, these guys were given a pretty good account of what had just happened. We, we looked at a lot of this at, at Easter last, last week, but right in the middle of their story, they make a statement that reveals their hearts. Did you catch it? They said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I can't think of a statement loaded with more irony. They hoped Jesus would redeem Israel, and that's exactly what he was doing. But that wasn't all he was doing. He was redeeming the whole world. They thought their hopes were shattered. The problem was their hopes were too small. It's a statement that's loaded with irony, but it's also one of the most heart-revealing statements that I can think of. You see, they had a very specific hope, a very specific expectation. They meant that Jesus would become an earthly king and overthrow the oppressive Romans militarily and politically. They meant that things would finally turn around and work out for Israel and that they would be a superpower again. And for these two guys who had followed Jesus, they meant that they would be set up for life in the court of the king with all of their problems solved and finally given a chance at the good life. See, the reality is the statement we had hoped was really all about them. They had missed what Jesus was doing. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've said things like this before. Maybe you said, we had hoped that he'd be the one to heal my wife. We had hoped that he would fix our marriage, bring back our wayward child, save our business. 
or maybe you can't pinpoint something really bad that has happened, but you just haven't reached all the expectations that you had for life. Maybe you would say, but we had hoped that we'd get the big house, get the promotion, retire early, be popular, hit it big. Here's another way to think about this. Might be a weird question to ask in church. Have you ever been disappointed in Jesus? Yeah, weird question to ask in church. But real talk for a minute. What have you hoped Jesus would do for you that hasn't happened? Now, don't put it in the comments, but you don't need to hide it from Jesus. He can handle it. He wants to know where your heart's at. He already knows where your heart's at. He just wants to lean in with you. And I think that that's where these guys were. They had expectations and hopes of what Jesus would do for them and their people. And then he died. And they were left wondering, now what? What the heck are we supposed to do? And if that's where you are today, know that Jesus is okay with your disappointment. He's okay with your unmet expectations. He wants to engage with you, lean in, and show you a bigger picture. He's always been good. He's always been at work. It's just usually a bigger picture than we can imagine. Let's continue in verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. (laughs) How foolish you are. I don't know about you, but I think that that makes my list of things I hope Jesus doesn't say to me. But I don't think he was yelling at them, which is kind of how it reads in English. I imagine Jesus here with grace in his eyes, not disappointment. Not anger, but passion that they would actually understand what's going on. He looks at them and he thinks all he's saying is, you guys missed it because you made it about yourselves. How often do we do the same thing? We make the scriptures about ourselves. Now, I've heard this talked about as a yearbook mentality before because we all remember what we do when we get a yearbook, right? We skim past all of the pages that have nothing to do with us, all of the pictures that aren't us, and flip right to this page that has our picture on it. We want to see how we looked. We want to show everybody else how we looked that day. We go throughout the rest of the yearbook, and we find out if there's pictures of us showing up in different events, at at the play, at the dance, at the volleyball game. But it's a problem when we take a yearbook mentality into how we read the Bible, when we skip over some things that don't really apply to us, where we can't see ourselves in there and we only go to those places that we can relate to or that make us feel good. I think in a way that that's what these two guys were doing. And I want us to notice Jesus's grace-filled discipleship solution. It was to open the scriptures to them. 
It wasn't to yell at them. It wasn't to point out their, out their faults. It wasn't to tell them to do better. It wasn't to rebuke them for not listening. He patiently brings them back to the source. Last week in Easter, we saw that it was the tomb that was opened. But apparently for these guys, that wasn't enough. They needed the scriptures open. And I think that that's the same solution that we need today. The resurrected Jesus comes to them and opened the scriptures. His solution was to give them a two and a half hour Bible study throughout the entire Old Testament to show them that everything that was happening was actually going right according to plan. It wasn't the plan that was off. It was their expectations that were off. And it was the Bible as had been written, as had been before them this whole time that they didn't see clearly. So Jesus comes to them and opens it for them. Man, to be a fly flying around on that walk. Would love to have had a two and a half hour Bible study right from Jesus. But notice what he's doing. Jesus doesn't want to just correct their wrong expectations. He wants to redirect their faith. He doesn't want their faith in their expectations or in their experiences or in their feelings. He wants their faith to be in him and directed by the Bible. He doesn't want to reassure them or pat them on the, on the back or affirm their feelings. He wants their hope to rest in the scriptures. Where does your hope rest? Now, it'd be easy to say, sure, my hope is in Jesus, but is it in your expectations of Jesus? Is it in your experience with Jesus? Is it in your feelings surrounding Jesus? We live in a world and a culture right now where it's easy to put our, our hope and have it rest in how we feel about something? Or is it in the words of Jesus that are unchanging, eternal, and powerful? See, Jesus is pretty clear where he wants our hope set, not in reassured feelings, but in the truth of his word. How amazing would it have been to be on that Emmaus road with these guys and listen to Jesus teach what the Bible's really about? Him. He explained to them what was in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, Jesus thinks the whole Bible is about him. But these two disciples thought it was about them. Jesus thinks the whole Bible is about him. So guys, we have to stop making it about us. We are not the hero. We are not the main character of the story, but we are with him. Now, all of this had a pretty profound impact on these guys, so let's keep going and see what happens back in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Again, I love the detail here. He pretends like he's going to keep, gonna keep going, even though it was dark, and you just don't do that. You don't travel the roads at night. There were no street lights, and there were bandits all over just waiting for somebody who's walking by themselves. He pretends like he's gonna keep going, but then he goes in with them. But they still don't know that it's Jesus. And even after everything that has just happened, they don't recognize him until he breaks bread with them. Over these last months, we've been tracking meals with Jesus and how so much life and intimate detail and relationship happens through the breaking of bread. And here again, a meal. And it's not until he breaks bread with them that their eyes are open and they recognize him. The tomb had been opened. The scriptures had been opened, but they still don't recognize him. But then their eyes were opened. The resurrected Jesus opened their eyes. And I love that the theme continues, that it was at a meal. Now here's a question. Would you recognize Jesus if he revealed himself to you? Sometimes I think it'd be easy to miss him. Because again, we have our hopes and our expectations on who we want Jesus to be, who we want Jesus to do for us. And sometimes we miss the bigger picture. I think maybe we'd be surprised at what he was wearing. I think we'd be surprised at what political party he was or wasn't a part of. I think we'd be surprised at who he was eating with. See, the whole reason that we have spent these five months in Luke is so that we could see Jesus as he revealed himself, that we would know him so we could follow him, that our eyes would be opened and that we would recognize the real Jesus, not the small Jesus with small expectations that we place on him, but the real, world-changing, resurrected Jesus that didn't just come for us and people that look like us, but came for the world, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Man, but when they recognized Jesus, everything changed. Verse 33, it says, They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Again, it was dark. And you just don't travel on the road at night. There's bandits. It's dangerous. But this news was way too important to wait. They got up and walked. Maybe they ran the seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem in the dark to tell the other disciples what had happened. Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, guys, this would have been terrifying. All right, they're all talking about what had just happened. It's probably really late, but everybody's still awake. They're talking about what's been going on, and Jesus just shows up. Maybe he just appeared. Maybe he walked through the wall, but he just shows up and says, how y'all doing? 
Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Again, it's a meal where Jesus reveals to them what is going on in intimate relational details. He shows them his wounds and his hands and his feet and eats fish just to prove that he's not a ghost, that he really has risen from the dead, just like he said he would. And then he did more than just open the scriptures to them. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the totality of the Old Testament. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. I'm gonna send you what my Father has promised, but stay in this city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Can you imagine what this would have been like? If I could go back and observe any scene in history, I think this would be the one I would wanna to go to. Jesus opens their minds. What would that have even been like? The lights go on, everything that they had read, everything that they had grown up with, everything that they had heard and seen from Jesus, Jesus now empowers them to understand. The tomb had been opened, the scriptures had been opened, their eyes had been opened, and now the resurrected Jesus opened their minds. I wish we had more of what this story would have looked like, but we don't have the whole scene. But these few verses that we do have is enough. It's all we need. Because with an open tomb, an open Bible, open eyes, and an open mind, all empowered by the risen Jesus, we can finally have our hopes and our expectations set right. Now, if you haven't read the whole Old Testament, I would highly encourage it. But it's going to take you some time. There are 622,700 words, 23,145 verses, 929 chapters, 39 books. So it's going to take you some time to read. Until then, Jesus summarizes it for us. Jesus' summary of the entire Old Testament, all of those words, all of those verses, hundreds of years of history, all the different authors, his entire summary is this. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's what the Bible's about. That's the story. And you fit into that, not the other way around. 
See, according to Jesus, the Bible is about two things. One, to predict and show the fulfillment of his death and resurrection as a ransom for people. And second, to predict and begin the fulfillment of that message making its way to the whole world. One author put it this way, the proper way for disciples of the crucified and risen Jesus to read the scriptures is messianically and missiologically. Messiah and mission. That's the point of Luke. It's the point of the Bible. It's the point of Easter. This whole book and the life that Jesus invites you and I into has two lenses, two triggers. And for those of us that like big words, two hermeneutics. That word just means ways of interpretation. And those two things are Messiah and mission. Messiah is the Hebrew word that matches the Greek word Christ. It means anointed one. It means chosen one. Messiah is Jesus, the one who came to seek and save the lost. And mission is his mission, not ours. It's easy to want to come up with our own mission and invite Jesus to be a part of it, but Jesus actually invites us into his mission. His mission is recognizing that he didn't just come for you and those that look like you. He came for the world. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And he didn't just come to save you and those who look like you. He came to invite you into his mission as he seeks and saves the lost all over the world. So as we get ready to leave Luke Which lens does God not want us to miss, not want you to miss today? Maybe what God has for you is a recapturing or or maybe a capturing for the first time that this whole book, all of history and your entire life finds its fulfillment, satisfaction, and salvation in the person, work, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to make yourself worthy by coming to church or doing the things that you think good church people do. Maybe you think you're too far gone or that you missed your chance for Jesus to mean something to you. And maybe what Luke and this Easter season needs to do in your life is to help you realize that it's never been about you. Never been about what you can do, what you can add, what you can accomplish. It's always been about Jesus. And his resurrection, his death on the cross, it's showing that he came after you and died the death that you deserved in order to bring you back. Maybe you saw the empty tomb last week and didn't think it was for you. And today, God is opening the scriptures, opening your eyes, opening your mind to know that there is nothing that you can do for God to love you any less, nothing that you can do for him to love you any more. His death was sufficient and complete and his life is for you. Now, when we're talking like this, I can't go on without giving you an opportunity right now, wherever you are listening to this. 
if you are not confident that Jesus would welcome you into his family, that you would spend eternity with him, if you've been trying to make it about you, then before we continue on and finish, would you pray these words with me? God, I believe. I believe that you died on the cross to bear the weight of my sin and rose from the dead to give me life. And I believe that that is everything I need, that there's nothing I can add to it. Give me confidence that what we saw on Easter is complete and lasting and sufficient and satisfying. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, would you put your name in the comments? Let us know that you said yes to Jesus because we want to follow up and, and talk more with you. But maybe for you, it's not the Messiah lens that God is trying to stir in your heart this morning. Maybe you, too, need to realize that it's not about you and you need to pick up the mission lens and realize that it's not about you having a comfortable American dream life while trying to be a good church-going Christian. Maybe your expectations of Jesus are just too small when you say, but we had hoped. Maybe you need to hear like the early disciples that it was always about the world. It was always about the mission. It was always about God's love coming to you so that it could flow through you. Maybe the lens that you need to fasten securely on your worldview and view of life and scripture is that God hasn't only invited you into his family, but he's invited you to expand his family and has sent you where you are on purpose for a purpose. The two guys on the road said, but we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And Jesus graciously responds, you have no idea how right you are and you have no idea how wrong you are. The story that I've invited you into is so much bigger than you can ever imagine. If only you would lift your eyes off yourself and enter into the greatest story ever told. That's the invitation of Luke. That's what God is inviting you into. So let me pray for us as we finish this wonderful set of months going through the book of Luke. So God, we are grateful for Jesus. And we pray that you would allow our hearts to understand that it's always been about you. It's always been about your mission. And you want to invite us in and use us for your glory in all the world, both where people are already worshiping you and in those places where there are still thousands of language groups who don't yet worship you. And as we leave, Luke, would you let that be our confidence that the resurrection is sufficient for everything that we will ever do. It is sufficient for our lives and for our eternity. And out of that confidence, give us grace to enter in, knowing that it's always been about Jesus and it's always been about his mission. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for being with us. Again, from wherever you are, we will see you next time. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.